0: Well, this is our second Sunday of Advent in this uh, four-Sunday Advent series of preaching messages, uh, looking at four different things that Advent reveals. It's the revealing. What does Advent reveal to us about God? Uh, I've entitled this message, uh, Advent, Jesus, and the Heart of—there's any chemists in the room? Who knows what the symbol A U stands for? Gold. Advent, Jesus, and the Heart of Gold. Any Neil Young fans in the room? How do you remember the song? Yeah, yeah, Neil Young. This song, well, you know the song Heart of Gold. Neil Young had. Are there any Neil Young fans in the room? Is there anybody in the room like me that remembers when we actually had? Good rock and roll music. Huh? Absolutely. Neil Young was among them. When Neil Young comes on in my car, the sound goes up. The car's bouncing around from one side of the lane to the other. I'm always getting pulled over. I could be pulled over. The police officer say, could say, have you been drinking? I could say, no, but I've been listening to Neil Young. And he would understand and say, okay, drive more carefully, go down the road. Remember that song, Heart of Gold? And Neil Young in his unique voice is singing about this search that he's on. I wanna live. Remember the song? I wanna give. If you know it, sing it with me. I want a miner for a heart of gold. Yeah, yeah. It never gives. I don't know the words myself. That keeps me searching for a. Wait, wait, wait. That keeps me searching for a. Yeah. And the lyric goes on, I'm getting old, keep me searching for a heart of gold, I'm getting old. But it's a, it was a fun song, it had a great beat, a great vibe to it, but it's about this search. And if you actually listen in on the song, you start realizing this is more than just a song. This is a call of angst, a call of longing, a call that is a little bit like Ecclesiastes, I've tried this, I've been there, and it left me wanting I've been to Hollywood, I've been to Redwood, I crossed the ocean for a heart of gold. I've been in my mind, it's such a fine wine that keeps me searching for a heart of gold. And I'm growing old. Several people uh, have written about this song. They've given their opinions about what it actually means. You know, you know, do you realize, you know Linda Ronsted and James Taylor are both singing backup on that song. If hearing Neil Young sing isn't enough, it should be, but if it isn't enough, listen to Linda Ronstead and James Taylor, two of the purest voices ever, singing with one of the least pure voices ever. Second, maybe only to Bob Dylan, who wasn't, oh, Bob Dylan. When I hear Bob Dylan on the record, never mind. You have to save somebody. Do you know that, Jeff? Maybe the devil. But you still got to thank you, Jeff Pat. We're team preaching today. You know that song, Heart of Gold I was coming. Come on, man. It was on the list of the five hundred best songs of all time by Rolling Stones. It made the top third. It was was just under 300, number 297. It was number 17 on Billboard's top songs for 1972. And it was Neil Young, who's a Canadian artist. It was pretty well rated in Canada, but it was Neil Young's only hit to make number one, on the American billboard. Did you know that? He never had another number one hit except that one, even when he, was, when he was, I think maybe when he was with Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, they might have had a number one hit. But Crazy Horse with Neil Young never had number one. Heart of Gold was the only one to reach number one. And listen to what some people say about the lyric. Quote, this song is mainly talking, these are Neil Young fans, sort of in the Neil Young fan club writing about the lyric of Heart of Gold. This song is mainly talking about Searching for Fulfillment. He describes how he's been to Hollywood and Redwood, but never, never found the meaning of his existence. This is how people are hearing the song. Another writer, these were the times where Neil Young, in being a searcher and explorer in the gold mine of his own mind, to find the pureness of some kind of truth to live up to. These are the times when he was doing that. Quote, it's these expressions I never give. The writer says he's having a difficult time committing to anything. Being grounded is out of his reach in reality because he's not standing still on the journey. He seeks, uh, he seeks the yearning that is up ahead in his travels to find a heart of gold. He's longing for this heart of gold, almost wondering if it can exist. To go back to the quote, I feel that he wants to be saved by the heart of gold, that can be a metaphor for the Savior as he is getting a little bit older, he's rethinking things. That's how people are hearing these lyrics. I first hear them as just having a great rock beat, a nice slapping snare, just right, kind of puts me in the groove. But then when I start listening to the lyric, I think, yeah, you, you got that right, brother. Been everywhere, 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 searching for a pure heart and you feel like you still haven't found it, but you're still searching. I love it because that song gave voice to the search I was on when I encountered Jesus in 1975. Man, there's gotta be more than what I've been experiencing. Man, I've gotta somehow find the What do I really believe? What do I really believe about God? Oh, I do all this loud, boisterous nonsense like I'm on a stage someplace looking for meaning and value, but when there's no one watching and the lights go out, what do I really believe? I'm searching. And when I experienced the purest heart ever in 1975, it reminds me of that too, when I found the heart of gold. When I found the heart of gold, that's when I found the heart of God. When I found the heart of God, that's when I found the heart of gold. And my searching transitioned from trying to find that pure heart to trying to find ways to access it more deeply. You see the change? I've found the heart. I've entered the room. But how do I get closer? How do I get more warmth out of it? How do I experience that gold more Purely that heart of God. And that's what this Advent candle is going to be lit to remind us of. It reminds us that there's this revealing, and one of the things it reveals is last week revealed the strategy or purpose of God, which is hope. This year we're remembering that Advent reveals the heart of God. What do you mean by heart? We, we throw that term around a lot. We, we eat our heart out. We we speak from the bottom, or feel from the bottom of our heart. We have a bleeding heart. We have a change of heart. In an attempt to get to the heart of the matter, we pour our hearts out during heart-to-heart talks that sometimes result in us having heavy hearts that we often wear on our sleeves, which I suppose is an attempt to keep from actually losing heart. You know, we have this term that's in so many different phrases, but what do we mean when we talk about the heart, and therefore the heart of God? Jay Stoll, former Moody president, speaks about what we mean by the heart, and I love the way he defined it. He said, the heart is the, comp- this is what we mean by it, the comprehensive term for a person as a whole, in other words, someone's feelings, someone's desires, someone's passions, someone's thoughts, understandings, and will He says the heart, when we use that term, we're talking about the person's center. The heart of the matter, the center of the matter. And you add to that some of what Scripture teaches about the heart. Because the Scripture wants to take that basic understanding of the heart, and it talks about, it adds to it, it talks about how there's a direct correlation between The heart, the person's center, the really the passions of the person, the convictions of the person, and a person's actions, his words, her actions, her decisions. Listen to what Matthew 6:21 says. Talks about this is the Sermon on the Mount. It's in a different context, but it's still the same point. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This linking of the things you value and your heart. The the places you've placed your treasure, the decisions you've made about that, that reveals the location of your heart. In Luke 6, Jesus says, Good people bring good things out of the what? good stored up in their hearts. And evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in their hearts. For the mouth speaks, and the people bring... What the heart is full of so we've got this definition of the heart this assumption of what we mean by the heart we're searching remember for the heart of god and this second sunday of advent we're reminded that advent reveals the true heart of god the heart is the essence of the person and the bible tells us teaches us that there's a correlation between the essence of the person the person's heart and what the person says and does and the way the person lives and if that's true then much is revealed about God's heart. You see the logic? You see where we're going? Through the action he takes at Advent. Advent reveals the nature of God, the disposition of God's heart, and it really is a heart of gold, the heart of gold. So what does Advent reveal about that disposition? As we look at some of the actions of God, the statements of God, to understand and discover the values of God and the attributes of His heart, Advent reveals in the heart of God a generous heart. If you can see somebody's heart by measuring their actions, then we see very clearly that God has, clearly that God has a generous heart. John three sixteen. You know the many of you know that verse. For God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever would believe in that son, believe on that son, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Did you know that that's an Advent verse? That really is an Advent verse. God so loved that he he gave. Here, here's my son. Here, in the manger. Here, wrapped up in towels. A gift for all the people. If we see the heart of somebody by the actions of that person, and if we see the heart of God by the actions of God, then we see the true heart of God in the fact that he gave. It's a generous heart. I don't know what you think about the heart of God. I don't know what you've experienced and then interpreted uh, that to, to give you, to, to, to have insights into the heart of God. I don't know. All kinds of stuff happens to all kinds of different people. And many theological leaps are made. Oh man, God must be like this if I just experience that. I don't know. I know this. His heart is a generous heart. And so that means logically God is incapable of doing anything that isn't foundationally what? Generous. Foundationally what? Generous. Whatever else feels like it's true Hmm. It can feel like it's true. This we know is true. His heart is generous. It was generous yesterday. It's going to be generous today. And I look forward to it being generous tomorrow. No, I experience all kinds of things that don't feel very generous. And I know that God has all sorts of power. And he can interrupt history. And he has occasionally in the past. Just not nearly as often as we think. Whatever happens... His disposition toward us has not changed because his heart has not changed. His heart is measured by his activities and he loved the world so much that he gave. That text doesn't say he loved people that loved him so much that he gave them. It says he loved the world, this system that can be corrupt and wounding and hurtful, that can completely disregard this love that he offers. That doesn't cause him to falter or be any less generous toward it. Man, that has all sorts of challenging, scary implications for the church if we are to be, as we so often love to say, say the hands and feet of Christ. And I start asking the relevant question right away. Man, am I a person who only loves those who love me and is only generous toward those who are good to me? Or is my heart, like the heart of the one whose ways I have adopted when I chose to follow him, is my heart also predisposed to be giving of myself even to those who spit on what I gave them? Because that's the true Christian. That's the mature follower of Christ because that's the heart of God. Amy Carmichael was a 20th century missionary to India, a great missionary to India. And she said, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Advent reveals the heart of God. It's a generous, generous heart. We know that because he gave. He so loved, That he gave. And then finally, this. Advent reveals not only a generous heart of God, but when Advent reveals the heart of God, obviously it reveals a loving heart. He loved, so he gave. Because it's possible to give without loving, but it's not possible to love without giving. Most of us know that. Listen to what Scripture says reveals to us about this loving heart of God just through a handful of random texts that actually today become Advent texts. In 1 John 4, that's where that text tells us that he was the initiator of love. By this, the love of God is revealed to us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the settling of accounts, the propitiation is the fancy word. For our sins, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He took the initiative to love first. He was the, first, he was the one who came up to us and said, hey, will you want to dance? Knowing that we could say no in front of everybody. He took the initiative. He walked across the room with everybody in the room watching. And he went right up to you, Derek, and he said, Hey, bro, I so love you. I give myself for you. You want to dance? Come dance with me. He said that to every human being that's ever been created. He loved first. Listen to Romans 5. While we were still helpless... At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for people who didn't think he should need to die for them. Christ died for people who didn't care that he died for them. Christ died for people that were rejecting him or neglecting him or hadn't even ever heard of him. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, but perhaps he'll die for a good person, even somebody would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own what? Love toward us. And that while we were still dirt clods, he died for us. While we were still awful, he died for us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. Wait, while we were still relatively ethical people who were indifferent toward God, he died for us. He loves us. I don't know what you experience and what you draw from that experience and what suppositions you come to about God's heart and His disposition toward you from that experience, but I know what God claims. I mean, capture this, folks. He loves you. He loved you. Before you loved him, he loved you before you knew about him. He'll love you long after you reject him. That's his heart. So much more is said. I love that Psalm 36. Lord, your love reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies a psalmist is trying he's getting his head around this and trying to express it and words are failing him your righteousness is like like the highest mountain your justice like 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 great deep you 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 you, you, you love so much, you preserve both people and even animals. I mean, you love, you love, you love, you love. You are love, the text tells us, not in Psalms, but other places. How priceless is your unfailing love? Can you see and hear the poet struggling for words? Oh, that doesn't quite capture it. Let me say it a different way. Oh, God, people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink. From your river of delights, your heart is predisposed to love, so your actions actually reveal that. For with you is the fountain of life, in your light we see. God's heart is a heart of gold, because God's heart is a heart that loves. Are you still searching for your heart of gold it's no more, because it's found in Christ. Let me finish by reading you a couple paragraphs from some research that I found this week. I'm not sure where I am with my time. 9, 10, 45, okay, I'm good. Uh, March of 2016, this came out. Um, And it was written by uh, Leanna Fuller, a professor of pastoral care at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. (laughs) She says this. Stay with me because it's a few paragraphs, it's a little bit long. Said a couple of months ago, the New York Times ran a fascinating article called Googling for God. And in this piece, author Seth Stevenson's Davidowitz explores recent trends in Google search data specifically related to questions people pose about God. And he notes that the number one God-related question people ask on Google is, who created God? A reasonable question. Not surprisingly, number two is, why does God allow suffering? However, very surprisingly, she says, I was shocked and dismayed to see the question that came in at number three. The question that came in at number three is directly relevant to this candle today. Because that question is, why does God hate me? Davidowitz then provides an even more troubling piece of information. What is the most common word to complete the following question? She asks in this research, why did God make me blank? Number one, by far was why did God make me ugly? The other sad answers in the top three were why did God make me gay and why did God make me black? Does that break your heart? I couldn't help but wonder if there might be some connection between the two questions. After all, if you believe God made you ugly, excuse me, If you believe that God made you ugly, it's not a stretch to believe that God hates you too, since in our culture, ugly is a very negative term that's used to denigrate people based primarily on their appearance. So it's not hard to imagine that members uh, who ask that might feel that God is at best indifferent to their plight, or at worst, that God has handpicked them to be oppressed and mistreated. You see the connections she's making in the article, all of this from the question, why Did God make me this way or that way? And that reveals people's understandings of the heart of God. Reading this article made me realize just how many incorrect ideas about God are still out there and how deeply those ideas are hurting people. Although the church certainly teaches that we are all sinners, it also affirms that each one of us is created in the image of God and loved, therefore, unconditionally, un Conditionally. You know what unconditionally means? know the secret meaning of that? It means unconditionally. Precious. Going on. Somehow this crucial message has been lost in the wider culture. Because as the Google data show, people searching the internet for answers to their faith questions seem to assume that God is primarily a judgmental, see where you plug in here, or where you plugged in last week, a judgmental, capricious tyrant who selectively applies oppression and suffering to certain groups or makes some people ugly and other people not. She finishes by saying, my prayer is that one day in the not-so-distant future, Google might report their top God-related searches as why does God care for me so much? and Why did God make me so beautiful and beloved? May it be so. It got me to dreaming about my preferred, most often asked question for the future on Google when people are asking about God. It's a 300-year-old question that a songwriter asked. And can it be that I should gain... And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued. This question, amazing love, how can it be? Oh, amazing love, how can it possibly be? That thou, my God, should die for me. And it's that heart of God. That heart of generosity and love that brings us to the Advent candle today. For This is the love candle. We like the second candle of Advent that reminds us that God reveals his heart of love. Jesus demonstrated self-giving love in his ministry as the Good Shepherd. An Advent is a time for kindness, for thinking of others, for sharing with others. It is a time to love as God loved us by giving us his most precious gift. As God is love, let us also be love. I challenge you with this. I was thinking about this yesterday as we were singing Christmas hymns. And as these words came up, they, uh, they stifled me. They they jolted me, as the Christian, uh, Christmas hymn invites us and invites the world to come and behold him, here's my challenge for us as this candle burns. May this flickering candle remind us to be a community of Christians that so love, in other words, that love in such a way that when people do come, oh, come all you faithful. Come and behold him that when people do come among us, they actually will behold him. The second Advent candle that reveals the heart of God.